At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, it is our privilege to partner with local churches both in the United States and around the world in training men for the gospel ministry. If your church supports CBTS with $200 a month and a commitment to pray for us, any student in your church can attend CBTS tuition-free. To learn more about how you can partner with us in providing informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, visit cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here with my co-host, Jimmy Johnson, and today we have the privilege to host Ron Miller on the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Ron. Thank you, brothers. And um, the subject that we're going to be talking about, or perhaps the person that we're going to be talking about, is William Kiffin. But before we jump into our conversation, uh, Ron, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and including your interest in particular Baptist history? I was raised in a Christian home, and I have always loved reading books and history. That's the wonderful fault of my mother and father. I am very grateful for that. It's played a major role in my own Christian life. Um, I majored for a while in history in college. I went to what's today called Cedarville University way back in the uh, mid-1970s, last century. And um, it was during college that I not only developed an interest in learning a bit about some of the Baptists, but I became a convinced Calvinistic Baptist. I always figured I was going to end up Reformed Presbyterian, um, and that never happened. Um, as I as I studied these Baptist forefathers, I realized they had a a little better understanding of certain things about the covenants and uh, the relationship of the old and the new and all of that. And so, although I'm a very different kind of Baptist than what I was raised, um, I'm very thankful for that heritage and grateful for my education and the opportunities there at that school. Um, after school, I was in the computer business for about 20 years. I was a computer executive for a number of companies. And toward the end of that time, I, I frankly had lots of extra time and, and a little bit of money and wondered what I could use that for, for the good of the kingdom. And as I prayed and thought about that, and this was probably in my late 30s, so the late 90s, um, it dawned on me that the two things I love most in life joined together in what's called particular Baptist or Reformed Baptist history. And when I realized that, and, and you know, I was dumbfounded that it never crossed my mind. Here I was basically 40 years old, and, you know, that's the thing that should have been obvious to me for many years. But God gave me a real desire to collect, read, study, and then um, share that with other people. I had no plans to become, in the, to become a, a pastor. I didn't feel a call to the ministry until I was um, in my 40s. And so I had, I had some money. I had some time. This was back when eBay was young. And buying and selling things, uh, especially like abebooks.com. 
I found all kinds of treasures that today you could look for a year and never find. And if you did, it would be at a crazy price. But I found a, a number of really wonderful things. And so I've collected, I don't know, three, four, five hundred pieces of uh, mostly books, uh, a little bit of ephemera. Um, about Reformed, what we would call Reformed Baptists today, or particular Baptists, or Calvinistic Baptists. I've, I've focused only on England or the UK from the early 1600s to 1850. After that, Calvinism gets so soft, I'm just not really interested in it. Spurgeon's an outlier. I mean, he's wonderful, but he's a, he's a man alone in the wilderness. And in the middle, mid-Atlantic and Northeast colonies or states from those same years, because there were some wonderful Baptists uh, back then. Some of them, of course, ran away from to get away from persecution in England. I've, I've never specialized in uh, Southern Baptist life or other parts of Baptist life around the world. You know, the students of Russian Baptist life or German Baptist life, you know, there's some wonderful things to study there, but that's never been my focus. Um, so as I began to read what I collected, I was spiritually profited. I, I, I feel like I've learned a lot, um, not only from some Paedo-Baptist Reformed brothers over the years, but from almost 400 years of, of particular Baptist life. There is a remarkably consistent approach to understanding church life, communion, baptism, evangelism, etc., that's a good, strong, healthy, Protestant and Baptist approach to it that, that people just don't know about today, or at least not very many do. So um, I've been interested in trying to transmit that and preserve it for about the last 30 years. And uh, so it's part of my work, and it's partly a hobby and so that's enough about me, I hope. <laughs> well, amen to to all that. We do love English Baptist or, or United Kingdom particular Baptist mm-hmm. history, and we're going to talk about, and this gets thrown around a lot, but one of the more important or most prominent, perhaps, um, early English English Baptist, and that that is William Kiffin. So, could you give us a biographical sketch of Kiffin? Maybe get a little bit into all aspects, life, ministry, theology. Yeah, Kiffin is a very important person in 17th century English Baptist life. I think, in some respects, the most important for keeping the movement together and safe and sound through all kinds of different political and religious life. Um, I think without Kiffin, we would have uh, a very different look to Reformed Baptist life today. Uh, Kiffin was probably born about 1616. His birth certificate or any kind of record or of his parents is uh, all of that's completely unknown except for what he tells us in a, a short sketch, an autobi- autobiographical sketch that he wrote very late in life. 
But as he talks about his age at a few places, you realize he was born about about 1616, and, and he lived an unusually long time. He lived for 85 years. He, he actually passed away at the very, very end of 1701. Everything we know about his early life is from this uh, biographical sketch, and we, we find out that his parents die in one of the annual visitations of the plague on London. He was just nine. Both parents die. He gets ill, expects to die, and the Lord saves his life. And this is just the first of many really unusual occurrences, providences in his life that would make Kiffin a, a really an ideal man. If, if anyone was ever to make a movie about a 17th century Baptist, they would have so much material with Kiffin, they wouldn't know what to do with it. People would find it um, almost almost unbelievable. And and several of the attempts at biography of him in the 17 and 1800s allude to that by by talking about the amazing life or or similar kinds of of uh, descriptions of his life. So he's he escapes death. He becomes uh, really robbed by other members of his extended family, of whatever his parents left, he's um, put under the tutorship or the um, training of someone. He's apprenticed at 12, and he really doesn't like apprentice life. One day he decides to run away, and in God's ordination, he had him walk by a church that people were thronging into. And he went in and listened to what the preacher said. And he was preaching to um, servants to obey their masters. And he took that as a word from God and headed back. And apparently his his master never never knew that he stepped out and, and intended to go. But but that became, began the process of him. Uh, regularly attending, very faithfully attending the preaching of the Word of God. And it's clear that who he liked to hear were not the fancy Anglican divines, but it was the Puritans. And so he listened to Foxley and a number of other men who, who were good, sound preachers. And after several years of conviction, of learning about faith, and, and really being thoroughly educated in the, in the true Christian religion, he went to hear John Goodwin. Now, John Goodwin is, is kind of interesting because um, this is not Thomas Goodwin, the very well-known um, peer of uh, John Owen. This is um, one of the few Arminian Puritans. But it was apparently under that, under his preaching, that he heard uh, the gospel and the Holy Spirit came and, and renewed him. And so he he had a he throughout his life had a a broad appreciation for other true Christians even when they disagreed with him and even when he disagreed with them sometimes uh, rather vehemently um, but he didn't damn them all he recognized that um, that they were God's people 
This then led to him and a number of other apprentices, young men, regularly meeting, especially on Sundays. They would, they would, they would just frequent preaching. They would constantly attend preaching. And so he develops a very good knowledge of the scriptures. These other young men and himself, and he's just a mid to late teen now, right? He's, he's 17, 18, perhaps, when he's converted. They meet for an hour every, every Lord's Day to pray and discuss uh, what they'd heard in other sermons, and they listen to others, and he starts to study the Bible. And finally, in 1638, he joins himself to what he calls an independent congregation. Um, at the time, it would have been known as a, as a separatist group, a, um, an independent or congregationalist church of the baptized way. So this is a group of people who get together as Christians to be the church. They are saints as saints, that is, according to their uh, profession, who are baptized upon profession of faith. So he's a member early on of one of the earliest particular Baptist churches. Probably this is the congregation that Samuel Eaton started by leaving uh, the JLJ church, but at the time that Kiffin joins him, he's Samuel Eaton's in prison and he's going to be dead a year later. This is illegal what they're doing. Uh, they're conventicling. Their their meetings are absolutely against the law and are actively, um, you know, pursued by Bishop Laud and King Charles the First and and all of their informants. He gets married, uh, finishes his apprenticeship, I suspect, gets married, and um, and spends a lot of time studying the Bible. It becomes clear that he has not only grace but gift, and the congregation asks him to preach for them, to lead them, and he does that for several years. And finally probably about 1642, he becomes a pastor. Now, he's been functioning really as that, and he's going to pastor this church for, for about 60 years. There's, there's different ways of calculating it, but, but that's, that's what he does. He spends the next more than half a century leading this congregation, often with other men, uh, sometimes alone, but a sizable congregation Again, this is a congregation of the baptized sort. They're not called Baptists yet. They don't have that name. They're Christians. They're, um, they're a congregation of, of believers, a congregation of saints. Of course, the 1640s are, uh, are one of the most interesting times in English life because for the next, for the 40s and 50s, you've got essentially the English uh, Revolution and, and the overthrow, the regicide of, of Charles I and the coming in of Cromwell. And so the ups and downs, you know, who's in charge? In the early 1640s, it's the Presbyterians. It's the, it's the Westminster Assembly. And they're appointed and, and they act, of course, just like the state church because they are the state church and they, they want that to continue with a slightly different format 
so they're pursued by them uh, during that time. And, and, and then some relief comes when Cromwell and the independents come um, because he's a man of, of real toleration, one of the more tolerant men of the age. Uh, so there's a lot of freedom, and, um, and Kiffin is very active during all this time trying to keep these churches alive. And by these churches, I mean a small group of London-based uh, baptized congregationalists who are arrested, who are imprisoned, who uh, some of them die, some of them are fined. But they gather together, probably predominantly under his leadership, even though he's quite young. And they publish what we call the First London Baptist Confession of Faith, 1642. It's uh, reprinted very quickly, and then it comes into a second edition with, with changes and appendices, and that's reprinted a bunch. And the goal here is, is basically the, the religious and political survival of this little group of churches. Because again, remember, this is completely illegal, what they're doing. And, and yet, in, in their consciences before God, they, they can do no other. By his wise leadership, in, in many respects, they not only survive, but, but multiply with amazing rapidity. Uh, Kiffin and others go out on preaching tours, they establish churches, they baptize, they send pastors to Ireland and all over England, they send them to Western England, they send a man named Thomas Collier there, they send Thomas Patient up to Ireland. They're very aggressive in taking opportunity for this, this time of, well, toleration in the 50s and and late 40s. Of course, this changes dramatically when Charles II comes and reestablishes the monarchy. Kiffin is repeatedly charged with everything from uh, sedition to false worship to uh, plotting to overthrow the king to murder him all kinds of things. And this is happening for, for really just one reason. And that's because Kiffin is a very wealthy, prominent London citizen who pastors one of these churches. If Kiffin were poor, they would have largely ignored him. But he is a prominent mover and shaker. He's a merchant who is wealthy. He... Um, and, and he's, a, he's a baptized congregationalist. You know, he's a dissenter. <laughs> so people go after him to try to uh, profit from his profits. The Lord rescues him from these repeatedly, sometimes because he has made friends with people in very high places. He not only knew Cromwell, he was, a, he was a friend, not just an acquaintance of Charles II. Uh, Charles II just routinely, with no notice, will call him in to, to advise him on all kinds of things. And in fact, when 
when the laws get stricter in 1662 and following, Charles actually calls him in and says, I can't protect you anymore. Right. So there's there's something um, very favorable that God's doing in his life with people who can keep him out of prison and keep him alive. Uh, that goes on for some time. We'll talk later about his his business interests, which are really amazing to hear about. He is very active in the churches, of course, not just in his own, but he is. He and Hansard Knowles are clearly looked up to as as kind of the fathers of the movement. Um, we, we know this because uh, you ask men of reputation to write prefaces to your books. And, and, and Kiffin is constantly writing short little prefaces to books. Um, other churches are writing. When, when they have a dispute, when they have a question, uh, Kiffin's always one of the men that they ask to adjudicate. When Thomas Collier becomes a widely known heretic in the true full sense of the word. Uh, Kiffin, Kiffin's one of those who has to be involved, in part because he knows Collier and his church sent out Collier uh, years before. So he's always involved. When the churches in, in Bristol are looking for a pastor, he's one of the men involved. When people are having arguments, yeah, they'll ask John Owen. Yeah, they'll ask Jeremiah Burroughs. Yeah, they'll ask Hansard Knowles they ask William Kiffin for advice. And he is often a first or second signature in books, in, in offerings to the king. Um, uh, for example, here's a copy of, um, and, and it's better looking than my face. So we'll do this. Apology of the uh, commonly called Anabaptists. And, and this is a 1660 publication to try to tell Charles, uh, we're not trying to overthrow you. Uh, we're not part of the Fifth Monarchy movement. We, Venner it doesn't speak or stand for us. Um, and, and so they write this little, the Baptists, we would call them, write this little treatise. And, and the first... The first signature, the first name is William Kiffin, right? Um, they did this frequently to try to show themselves to be good citizens. This is in a day where your religion and your politics had to go together. If you didn't follow the king's religion, you were a traitor. Now, that's a slight oversimplification, but not by much. And certainly the law worked that way. So he's, he's leading in all of these things. Finally, Charles dies, and James II comes to the throne, who was a fairly open Roman Catholic. This scares the nation, and there are certain rebellions against James, just like there were against Charles. And um, again, Kiffin has access to James. He's known by him. He he gives him money. He um, he asks for favors. Uh, 
The Rye House plot is a famous plot to try to overthrow. Um, Kiffin is, some of his enemies hope he's involved, but he's not. But one of his sons-in-law was arrested and actually stood trial. And, and Kiffin uses his influence to try to help that. And probably not due to him, probably just the sheer innocency of his uh, son-in-law. He is one of the few who gets off. Uh, the judge is the infamous Judge Jeffries, the hanging judge, who uh, in a year or so later will put to death two of William Kiffin's grandsons, the Hewlings, William and Benjamin. And, and it's all of that that show his constant movement in the upper echelons of, of London society, while at the same time leading one of the most despised, poor, downtrodden, pursued uh, groups of people. It makes for a fascinating story. Um, he's married to his first wife, Hannah, for 42 years. He, as everyone did then, fairly quickly remarried. Uh, we'll talk about that later. And... Um, and lives to the ripe old age, I think well past what he wanted to live, actually, from, you can tell from some of his writings. Um, he lives to, to 85 years old, about. And he dies having seen the, what we call the Second London Confession of Faith, the, the 1689, um, approved by a hundred churches. He lives to see well over 120 churches just in the UK that believed this, and there were some more back in the colonies. He sees toleration come, things he's hoped for and worked for for 60 years. He does get to experience for a few years. Uh, but he's a very old man, and he, he's lost all three of his sons to death, and at least one of his daughters, maybe two. He's lost his first wife. He buries Hansard Knowles, of course, and, and um, yeah, life has just been long, um, and he's tired. And so he writes that what matters is knowing Jesus Christ. And about eight years later, he, he dies, and he's buried in Bunhill Fields there, of course, in what today we would call London, but back then was on the other side of the wall of London. Um, and, and that's the, some of the highlights of the story of William Kiffin. Well, thank you for giving a biographical sketch on William Kiffin's life. And uh, you alluded to some of the things we were going to get to uh, in this conversation. And uh, by way of furthering this conversation on, uh, we're interested to know of what we know of Kiffin as a preacher. So what do we know of William Kiffin as a preacher? We know very little. Um, and that's in stark contrast to the way that we know some of the other men from this age. Most of the, what we know about the other men is from the publication of their sermons. Uh, Benjamin Keach being the preeminent example, of course. 
to my knowledge, we only have one sermon that Kiffin preached. That was from 1642. So he's a very young man. He's early in his ministry. But because he was arrested while preaching this, to show that they weren't trying to undermine the government or some other things, but what they were doing is teaching wholesome gospel, as they would have said, uh, he had it published. It was from Hosea 2, and it's just a good, standard, Puritan exposition of Scripture. But I don't, but I'm not aware that we know really any other examples. He often had others be the public spokesman, but I don't think that means that he didn't preach well. And the reason I I say that, uh, uh, there are several. One, One is he was the pastor for like 50 years. And I will tell you from my reading in the 16 and 1700s of English Baptist life, English congregations were not shy about saying, we don't want to hear you anymore. (laughs) We don't profit from you. Uh, Please sit down, right? Uh, It's not hard to find many records of that or of congregations just dissolving fairly quickly when they call a pastor and they just They just don't like his preaching because preaching was at the heart of worship. It was the main way you were edified. For most of the people who couldn't read or even if they could, couldn't afford a Bible, preaching was where you heard the word of God. It was your only real way, except in one-on-one conversations, of hearing the word of God. Now, they were much better than we are today at remembering um, what what is spoken to them, right? This is not a, today we live in a visual and very word-based, uh, you know, books are, you know, there are hundreds of books in, in all of our offices, if not thousands. You, you, had, you had to get your knowledge through the ear back then. So sermons were really important. You heard them every time you could, and you try to remember them. So I, I think for that reason, we have to assume that Kiffin is a good preacher. But more than that, his friends and his enemies regularly remark about what a good gift he has for speaking in um, to the king, to courts, to certain panels that the king would set up on certain subjects. It's, it's clear that he knew how to hold an audience, uh, that he knew how to frame his thoughts. And this is really rather remarkable, because remember, this, this is an apprenticed man who can read. He's got no formal English education, because he was disqualified, as all the dissenters were, from going to Oxford or Cambridge. So all of this is self-taught. All of this is by hearing sermons, by studying his Bible, by reading good books. Um. So I I think he was probably um, a very typical Puritan Baptist kind of preacher. But we have very little content um, of his sermons. You want to follow up on that or? No, I mean, uh, I I think that 
I think that's an adequate summary, especially if we don't have anything more to work with. And that does make sense that him him preaching for such a long time would at the very least evidence that he, he was a, a captivating and, and faithful preacher. Um, moving on, um, something that I, I'm particularly interested in, I know I know Austin is as well, but this is one of my interests in study, is the first and second London Confessions of Faith. Um, for additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.